let's keep our minds focused for just a few minutes on Acts chapter 21. One of the great things about reading the Bible is you realize how real it was and is. As you're reading Luke's record of what occurred in Acts chapter 21, you just see unfold before your very eyes the kind of struggles and the conflicts which are a part of our society and a part of our congregation and our world. In fact, you'll look and see the struggle and the question comes up about what we're going to look at. Was Paul pandering to the Jewish people and what he did? Or was Paul persuaded that he ought to do anything and everything within his power to try to be able to save souls? Well, here's what I want us to do. I want us to begin by reading the text again. We're going to back up this time to verse 17. And we want to read through verse 24 again. And then we're going to try to unpack this, if you will. And when we had come to Jerusalem... The brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told them in detail the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, You see, brother... How many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But they've been informed about you that you teach the Jews, all the Jews who are among the Greeks, to forsake Moses, saying they ought not circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so they may shave their heads. And that all may know that the things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. Now, this is, at least in my opinion, one of the most challenging passages in the book of Acts. Because what we are forced to do is to look at this <clears throat> and try to find out whether Paul <clears throat> pardon me, was either doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing. And when you look at this, this does provide for us a pattern of how to deal with difficult and what we might call sticky situations among us. So here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look, first of all, at the situation, the problem, the difficulty that we have read about. Number two, we want to look at the solution that was proposed by James and the elders. And then number three, we want to look at was Paul seduced? Or was he steadfast? Let's begin. There's a, there's a lot here, so let's focus our minds for just a few minutes on this text. Paul is returning from his third missionary journey. When we studied the book of Acts, you realize Paul and Barnabas make that first missionary journey. 
Paul and Silas make that second missionary journey. And now we're to the third missionary journey. And Paul has been going primarily to the area we would know today as Turkey and then an area known as Greece. And he was preaching the gospel primarily among the Gentiles. There's another important backstory that's in all of this. And that is Paul has been on this third missionary journey as he went to the churches of Macedonia, as he went to the churches of Galatia, as he went to the churches of Achaia. He asked them to raise funds to help the needy saints in Jerusalem. And when you go to Romans chapter 15, you can see Paul's concern in this. He said, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and now carefully, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. What I'm trying to do and to raise these funds to help these people, that it will work out for good. And then he would say in Acts 24, verse 17, Now after many years I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation. When you listen to what Paul had written in Romans and you read what he's written, or Luke has written here, it's obvious that the real backstory behind this is Paul is trying to heal the breach between Jew and Gentile. The Gentiles had resources they had money the jews were poor they were needy and paul said let's take that contribution and be able to do some good and heal some of those breaches but as paul is on his way to jerusalem he's sailing from port to port he's going to come for instance by the island of cyprus he's going to land at tyre and the brethren are going to meet him there He's going to go from there on down to Caesarea. And when you get to Tyre, Acts 21 verse 4 says, And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. They told Paul through the Spirit. That is, these were people who were endued with a power from on high who were telling Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. You go further to verses 10 and 11. As we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we... And those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Paul, we don't want you to go. You're going to be in prison there. You're going to be mistreated there. Paul's not going to listen. Paul said, it doesn't matter. I'm willing to be bound and to die for the Lord. His mind is focused on going toward Jerusalem. Well, if you're reading along, one of the things that pops up to you is when Paul gets there, the reception is warm. It's, it's inviting. They're happy for him. Notice again, verses 17 through 20. When we come up to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. 
It's not as if when Paul arrives there that the people are not nice to him. They are nice to him. It says he went and met with them, and it says in verse 19, when he had greeted him, he told in detail the things which God had done among the Gentiles. Paul gave them a missionary report. Here's what we were able to accomplish through God's help. And then they were all glorifying God. What a powerful, positive message that was. But you see, there's a difficulty. The problem's not with the Gentiles. This time's the problem's with the Jews. And the Gentile problem had already been settled. In fact, Acts 21, verse 25, But concerning the Gentiles who believed, we have written and decided they should observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. The Gentile issue had been solved. There's no question about that. The question is about the Jews. What was Paul teaching Jews to do? And you cannot avoid the issue here. Look at verses 20 and 21. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed. Now pause for just a moment. Myriads. Sometimes you see the word thousands. This is thousands of thousands. How large had the church become in Jerusalem? You know, we know there was one time 5,000 men, but now the church has grown to an extremely large number. And there's a lot of them, he said, that are zealous for the law. And they've been informed that you're teaching them not to observe the law. Where did they get this idea that Paul was encouraging a Jewish apostasy? Well, I think I know. Let's go through a few texts. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, verse 6. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Look at verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. What is he saying? It doesn't matter whether you've been circumcised or not circumcised. Or Romans 10, verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And someone says, well, is he talking about Jews? All you got to do is back up to verse 1. He says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that she may be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Oh, he's talking about Israel. Israel needs to know that Christ is the end of the law. Galatians 2, 14 through 16. You'll notice, particularly verse 14, he says, I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew... Live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews. Why do you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Notice, Peter's living like a Gentile himself. You start understanding that there's no way to avoid this issue. You have on the one side, you have those Jews who are saying, We're zealous for the law. You have Paul teaching that the law has been done away in Christ. Verse 22. 
What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. The body of believers is going to meet. There's going to be a congregational meeting. It's going to be thousands evidently involved in all this. And Paul, there's a, there's a concern here. What are you going to do? Well, there's a solution been offered. The solution, the suggestion does not come from Paul. It comes from James and evidently the elders who are with him. And what they wanted Paul to do was something that would calm the controversy. Paul, we don't want everybody thinking this about you. Here's what we want you to do. We want you to do something that will make it clear you're walking according to the law. And so they proposed four men who had taken a vow and they wanted Paul to do that with them and to pay the expenses. And someone says, well, what all did that involve? Most likely this is a Nazarite vow because it said they've shaved their heads. If you go to the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verses 13 through 20, there are details given about what you do when you go to the temple and you take this vow. And there's some specifics. And these are important. Now this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and he shall present his offering to the Lord, one male lamb in its first year without blemish as a burnt offering. One ewe lamb in its first year without blemish as a sin offering. One ram without blemish as a peace offering. A basket of unleavened bread, a cake of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil and grain offering with their drink offerings. The priest shall bring them before the Lord and for his sin offering and for his burnt offering. And then he'll present the peace, the ram as a sacrifice of his peace offering. I'm going to skip the rest of this because... You've already got the idea. You've got these animals that are to be offered. With Paul, with these four men, there's going to be 15 sheep offered, five grain offerings, five drink offerings, and five baskets of bread. And so I, I don't see any big deal. Paul's just paying for all these animals. But you know, there's a real big problem in this. One of those is a sin offering. You're going to take this ewe lamb and you're going to offer that ewe lamb for yourself, for these four men, for their sins. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. And here's what they wanted to accomplish. Verse 24, that all may know that the things which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. Paul, we want everyone to know that you keep those Old Testament laws and restrictions. Which brings us to the third part of our lesson, which is really the crux of it. Everything else is just leading up to this. 
This is probably the most debated section of the book of Acts. Most of the book of Acts is real easy. You read it, he says, do this, do this. They did that and they were saved. Or you read the church assembled and they did this and they did this and God was pleased. Did Paul sin? Or was he simply trying to bring about peace in the church? Now, here's what I do when I come to a difficult passage. I follow the plan of the Ethiopian eunuch. If I don't know something, I'm going to ask someone to guide me. I'm going to look and see those who have good understanding. And when you come to this passage, there's some who believe Paul sinned. There's some who believe Paul did not sin. And there's two really good brethren that I have read their writings in detail. And I think they represent perhaps the most scholarly, the most um, greatest insight in this. And I'm going to try to summarize their views. The first was my brother Hugo McGord. And he was discussing whether or not Paul sinned. And he believed that Paul did sin. And what he would say is, if Peter could sin, so could Paul. Do you remember in the book of Galatians, in chapter 2, verse 11 and verse 18, now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Go down to verse 18, for if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. And Brother McCord says, well, if Peter could sin, Peter could make a mistake in doing what he did, then certainly Paul. And if Paul did build again those things which he destroyed, then he said he certainly would have sinned. And he asked the question, how could Paul write the books of Romans and Galatians and perhaps even the book of Hebrews and do this? Knowing that these sacrifices were no longer acceptable to God. They were a part of that old covenant. And so what his view is, is that Paul did sin, but in doing so, he did not violate his conscience. He simply was seduced into doing something he ought to have known better to do. You remember Acts 23, verse 1, Paul said, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Paul would say, I didn't do it intentionally, but we do know that what Paul did here was to say he was walking according to the law. On the other hand, Brother Wayne Jackson, who I consider to be a very brilliant student of the Bible, holds a view that Paul did not sin. And his view is, is that Paul would do whatever was necessary to save the soul. And he would refer you to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 9 through 12. And Paul said, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. Now that's the key verse there. I'm going to read that again. To those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who were without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. 
I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Paul would say, I'll do whatever is necessary to try to save a soul. If it's to deal with the Jewish man, I'll deal with the Jewish man. If it's to deal with the Gentile without the law, I'll do that. Because my whole motivation is to save the soul. And a good illustration of this is what he did to Timothy. You see, in Acts 16, verses 1 through 3, we learn that there was a young man who was the son of a Jewish mother. His father was Greek. Verse 3 says, Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. He had Timothy circumcised. Why? So he could be able to reach the Jewish people. When Paul preached, he did not tell people, give up your heritage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 18, was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Paul said, you don't have to change who you are. And so, Brother Jackson would say that when you look at what Paul did here, he was simply trying to reach the Jewish people, and he did that. And then he would add, there's no rebuke of Paul in Scripture. Now you can say, well, you've given both sides. Which is your opinion? My opinion is that Paul did err here. I believe he did make a mistake. I don't see how he could have written what he did and then to participate in this. But be that as it may, I believe now is here where you come and you look and say, what are some lessons that you and I can learn from this account? What are some things that we're going to walk away with? Number one, sometimes we suffer at the hands of those we're trying to help. Here was Paul bringing this great contribution to help the needy saints. And when he gets there, they're not interested in talking about what they're receiving. They're interested in talking about, Paul, what are you doing? Sometimes your heart is in the right place. And you want to help somebody. And you are actually going out of your way to help those people. And then they don't appreciate it. And in fact, they may even turn on you. Those of us who are Christians find ourselves often trying to help those that we love, we care about. And sometimes we have to suffer for trying to help them. But that's okay. You do it anyway. Number two, sometimes people may in misinterpret our actions and our intentions. Paul, in trying to reach the Jewish people, was trying to teach them about Christ. When he was reaching the Gentile people, he was trying to teach them about Christ. And he was saying all of this back part of this, of the Old Testament, circumcision, was just that. It was Old Testament. Sometimes people may misinterpret what we're trying to do. You may be trying to, to make a good point from Scripture and they're looking at it and saying, well, you're, you're saying something differently. Number three, you always need to be concerned about what God wants. In this passage, 
what James and the others are proposing to Paul is, let's make the people happy. Paul would say, no, that's not the way you do it. In Galatians 1 and verse 10, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Number four, we must be concerned about how others perceive us, especially in religious matters. I think about what is taking place here and the view that they've developed toward Paul. Sometimes when I go out and I'll knock the door, maybe talk with someone about the gospel, they've got in their minds already a prejudice that makes it hard to be able to teach them the truth. Maybe they already have views and they say, well, you people in the churches of Christ believe this or you believe that. We've got to be careful that we don't leave a wrong impression with people as we're trying to teach them the truth. Saving the soul, ours and others. That's what the book of Acts keeps coming back and saying. Here is the most important part. You try to reach the Gentile, teach him the Lord's truth, save his soul. The Jewish man, you try to teach him the truth, the New Testament, you save his soul. And then you've got to be concerned about your own as well. This morning, I don't know how many of you are thinking about becoming a Christian. Some of you may be younger. Some of you may be older. Here's the plan that God has set forth in the book of Acts, by the way. You must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Acts 16, verse 30, when he asked the question, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Acts 16, 30 and 31. Then you have to repent of your sins. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, repent. Acts 3, verse 19, repent. Acts 17, verse 30, repent. Then you have to confess Jesus. Acts 8, verse 37. The eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then to be baptized, immersed in water for the remission of your sins. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. You can see it again, Acts 22, verse 16. To wash away your sins. Maybe that you're a Christian here. And, you know, one of the saddest things is that sometimes we've allowed ourselves to be tricked, deceived, and pulled by the world. And we're out here and we're, we realize, you know, I'm not where I need to be. We're going to sing an invitation song. It's the Lord's invitation for you to come to Him. We're going to sing, Is Your Heart Right with God? And if you need to respond, would you come as together we stand and sing?